Continue to think of a, a situation. Can you imagine a situation where Christians would prefer godless leaders over godly leaders? It sounds unthinkable. Who would want to protect bad leaders and follow them, uh, to, to follow wicked leaders rather than be led by godly men? But part of the scandal in how churches sometimes deal with abuse is that we have silenced abused people. We silence whistleblowers in order to protect the abuser. It's part of the horrific truth revealed by the Royal Commission. Of course, it doesn't just happen in churches. Other institutions fail to respond properly to abuse. But churches, those bearing the name of Jesus, we should have done better. But why do we do this? Why do we protect bad leaders? Sometimes it's to protect the brand. We want people to believe our church or our ministry is is squeaky clean. There's no sin left here. We're more righteous than the rest. Sometimes, I think this is a really big one, isn't it? We don't want to believe it ourselves. Sometimes it's because bad leaders are successful. They lead a growing ministry. People are coming to church. The budget is growing or, or even worse, we've just started a, a building project. We, we've just taken out a loan. We can't afford a scandal. And so we keep the bad leaders in place. We keep following them. Uh, sadly, we know the stories, don't we? It's not that uncommon. And the problem isn't just the ungodly leaders themselves, but how the people, the followers, if you like, protect and prefer at times ungodly leaders. It's a terrible reality. And what makes it shocking is if you know anything of the teaching of Jesus, he reserves his harshest words for godless leaders. The reason why the scandal is greater in churches with godless leaders is we should know better. All we've got to do is listen to Jesus. But even the leaders in Jesus' day should have known better. They should have known because God had sent prophets, prophets like Zechariah, who warned bad leaders and anyone who rejects godly leadership in preference for bad leaders. And that's what we're reading today in Zechariah 11. Zechariah 11 is a warning about evil or abusive leadership. It's a warning about how bad leaders impact the whole community, making the whole community destructive. So Zechariah 11, as we just heard it, it's, it's the final part of a prophecy that started back in chapter 9. So Zechariah 9 to 11 is actually one message, one prophecy. So we looked at Zechariah 9 last week. Today we're focusing on in here at the end. And we hear this warning of bad leaders. The prophet uses this language of shepherds. Shepherds are a metaphor for leaders. Well, back in chapter 10, we actually heard already the warning of judgment for evil shepherds. So before we get into Zechariah 11, let's turn back to Zechariah 10 and have a look at verse 2, because the warning to false leaders, bad leaders, starts there. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2. The idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like a sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. My anger burns against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the people of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. The situation, the people are without a shepherd, without good, true, godly shepherds. And so God promises to punish the leaders and take care of the flock himself. 
Last week we saw part of how that's going to happen. God will bring his king lowly on riding on a young donkey into Jerusalem. So we've already heard bits about this bad leadership in chapters 9 and 10. That's really the big focus in chapter 11. Uh, chapter 11 is, is like a role play or a drama. In this chapter, God tells Zechariah to act out the part of two shepherds. A good shepherd in verses 4 to 14 and a bad or foolish shepherd in verses 15 to 17. So good shepherd, then bad shepherd. The drama begins by God giving Zechariah a hopeless, a pathetic task. He's to get a job as a shepherd. It's not that being a shepherd is a bad job necessarily, but this particular job, his job is to look after the sheep whose days are numbered. Have a look at verse 4. So Zechariah 11 verse 4. This is what the Lord my God says, Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. These sheep are about to become Sunday dinner. Their owners are heartless. They don't care. All they care about is getting rich. Now, the point of Zechariah becoming a good shepherd, it's not about sheep. It's about people. The sheep represent the people of Judah. They represent God's people. And the abusive, greedy shepherds represent the elders of God's people. And they don't give two hoots about the welfare of God's people. All they care about is their own prestige, their own power, their own comfort and wealth. Now, so far, Zechariah 11, although it's a pretty sad story, it's actually good news, isn't it? Especially if you've been taken advantage of by a leader. But in verse 6, the tables turn as God announces judgment. Not only on the leaders, but on the people themselves. So verse 6. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbours and their king. They will devastate the land and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. Did you hear what's going on there? Why are the sheep, why are the, the people going to cop it? Aren't they the victims? Well, as the drama plays out, we see why the flock also faces judgment. So we're up to verse 7 now, and this is actually where the role play begins. The first couple of verses is just setting the scene. Verse 7, the action happens. Zechariah gets the job to shepherd uh, the, the fated flock, and as he does, we hear both God's judgment and also his mercy. Here we go, verse 7, they hear where we hear God's judgment and also his mercy. Verse 7, so I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staves and called one favour and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. So here we go, Zechariah is the good shepherd. He particularly cares for the weak and oppressed of the flock. He's got his tools, his two shepherd staves, and he names them. They become symbolic tools. And he gets to work caring for the flock, especially the weak, and getting rid of the bad leaders. But listen to how the sheep respond. Verse 8. In one month I got rid of the three shepherds. The flock detested me. And I grew weary of them and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. 
So Zechariah sacks three shepherds in one month. It's hard to work out uh, if this refers to a specific historic reality, if uh, if there was a time when three kings or three high priests fall in quick succession. Maybe the number three is symbolic, that Zechariah is not acting out a specific historic moment, but a general promise that God will remove and punish all bad leaders of his people. So getting rid of these three shepherds, that sounds like great news. The, the sheep should be rejoicing. Yay, we got rid of our bad shepherds. But did you hear how the sheep responded? They detest the shepherd. They prefer their wicked leaders than the good shepherd. And we can see why the sheep are as bad as their own. Sorry, the sheep are as bad as the shepherds, they eat their own. They detest being cared for by a good shepherd. And if you've looked after animals, you know what this is like. You try and herd a bunch of cows into the good paddock. They refuse to go through the gate. They bolt. They've got no idea what's good for them. Try and get them into a crush to give them a drench. And they you know, jump around and, and injure you. <laughs> like animals don't have a clue what's good for them half the time. We are, we're the same, aren't we? We don't know what's good for us. Preferring the godless leaders we know than the care of God's good shepherd. And so, verse 10, Zechariah pronounces he's finished with these sheep, and he symbolises this by breaking staff number one, the one named Favour. So, verse 10, Then I took my staff called Favour and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. This is shocking. This is a gut-wrenching verse, isn't it? Zechariah is playing the part of God in this role play. And here's God breaking, finishing, annulling his covenant, his promise. But isn't God the promise keeper? Well, we've got to work out what's going on here, don't we? We've got to work out, first of all, what covenant or promise verse 10 is talking about. One of the difficulties is the translation of the verse 10. Uh, the word the NIV translates nations is probably better translated peoples. I'll put, I've got the ESV up on the screen. I think it does a better job on this verse. But that doesn't solve it straight away. Who are the peoples? If it's not nations, it's people. What's the difference? It's not referring here to all the peoples of the world. It means the peoples, the families and clans of Israel and Judah. And this makes a bit more sense of the verse because if it's about God breaking a covenant with the whole world, well, what covenant has God made with the whole world? Well, the only covenant would be the covenant he made with Noah, but there's nothing in Zechariah 11 about God going to flood the whole earth. And also the covenant with Noah is unconditional. So what's the covenant that here? Well, the covenant in verse 10 is the Sinai covenant, the promise to Israel that God would be their God and they would be his people. The covenant where God promised blessing and long life in the land if his people kept his law. And by breaking his staff named favour, it's not that God's breaking his side of the promise. He's not, no, no, he's saying to the people, you've already broken the covenant by despising the shepherd by rejecting me as your God, by following godless leaders who oppress the weak and vulnerable, you've broken covenant with me. God isn't breaking the promise. He's merely ratifying uh, what they've already done. 
But it is still a gut-wrenching verse, isn't it? A moment of finality. As Zechariah breaks the staff named Favor, he's announcing God's judgment on God's flock. And now since Zechariah's job is done, the flock don't want his leadership or his protection or guidance, so it's now time for them to pay up, to pay his wages. Verse 12, I told them, if you think it best, pay me my pay, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Zechariah's deal with the flock, if you're happy with the work uh, he's done, the shepherd, give him his pay, otherwise don't worry about it. It's a bit strange, isn't it? It sounds like he's asking the sheep to pay him. But stranger still, despite despising the, the shepherd, detesting him, they pay him. But God tells Zechariah to reject their payment. Verse 13, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Why does God reject their payment? It's not because it's a miserly sum. They gave him 30 pieces, 30 shekels of silver. That's not a small amount of money. In Nehemiah, written at the same time, in Nehemiah they complain because they are taxed 40 pieces of silver, so 30 pieces of silver is probably good money. No, God tells Zechariah to throw the money back to them because he doesn't want their money. He wants their heart. He wants them to follow him, to accept him as their shepherd. Why, though, does Zechariah throw the money back into the temple? Well, it's because the house of the Lord is where Israel's leadership is centred. If you've been following along Zechariah uh, with us the last little while, this is quite a contrast, isn't it? At the, in the opening chapters of Zechariah, the big goal is to build the temple. Now it's built, and within a generation it's corrupt. Now it's controlled by sinful, ungodly, abusive leaders who through their sin lead to the destruction of God's people. Verse 14, Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. In some ways, this bond was, was broken hundreds of years earlier. It was broken when the nation split into two after Solomon's death. The point of this broken staff is, as you reject God's shepherd, as you reject union with God, there's now no chance of unity amongst God's people. You can't have a united people of God unless they are united to God and their unity is with and under God. All right, there's been a lot in this passage so far. That's, that's the first role play. Zechariah, the good shepherd, rejected by the sheep. What's the message? It's a warning. Don't reject God's shepherd. It's a warning to godless leaders. It's a warning to God's people who are as bad as their leaders, who prefer godless leader, godless leaders than God himself. Uh, the second part of this role play is much more straightforward, much simpler to understand. Uh, this time, Zechariah plays the part of a bad, a foolish shepherd. And the message is, God's judgment is going to, uh, is giving the people the, the leader they deserve. You want bad leaders? You're going to get them. Let's see how it goes. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy. 
but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. You don't want God as a leader. This is the kind of leader you're going to get. But even that leader is going to be punished by God for being a worthless, a foolish shepherd. Now in a moment, we're going to see how Zechariah's prophetic role play is fulfilled in Jesus. But before we do, what does this passage say? What do these role plays say to those of us who've been hurt? Hurt by abusive, controlling, greedy, selfish leaders in a church. Maybe it's a church you were a member of. Maybe it's been the leadership of a mission or parachurch ministry uh, and you've supported them financially, you've appreciated the ministry, the resources, the teaching, and then the truth comes out. Uh, the leader was a shepherd who was destroying the little lambs, tearing off their hooves, eating the meat of the best sheep. The comfort this, this passage gives us is that God sees, God knows. And if he hasn't already, he will act. He will bring judgment. If you've been oppressed, take comfort in verse 17. God will bring justice. Zechariah 11 also drives us to our knees. Please be praying for our church. I pray I would not be a foolish shepherd. It's also my prayer. We'll soon start the process to elect elders But this passage reminds us why it's a process and not a process to rush. Bad, ungodly, unqualified leaders can do great damage to others. Bad, ungodly, unqualified shepherds put themselves in the way of God's judgment. So please join me in in asking God to raise up good men to be shepherds, to be elders of our church. And finally... We're to pray for each other, that we'd be sheep who don't detest the shepherd and who don't eat one another, but who love one another. So what's Zechariah 11 mean? God sees, God will judge evil shepherds, which is good news if you're an abused sheep. It's a warning. Bad leadership is contagious. God will judge oppressive, sinful sheep. And the big flashing red warning, don't reject God's shepherd. Ultimately, Zechariah 11, like all Old Testament passages, it's about Jesus, isn't it? We've seen Zechariah do this role play. I'm sure a bunch of things have jumped out to you. Last week, we saw Jesus at the start of his final week. We saw him fulfill Zechariah 9, the lowly king entering Jerusalem on a young donkey, Throughout the final week in Jerusalem, Jesus was constantly questioned by the leaders of God's people. Priests, members of the Sanhedrin, the bad shepherds of Israel. They were trying to catch Jesus out with his own words, but they failed. So they begin to conspire to arrest and have Jesus killed. They're meant to be leaders of God's people. Instead, they're willing to plot and lie in order to murder Jesus. But the bad shepherds have a problem. How are we going to get Jesus when we only have with him in a big crowd? But they have a breakthrough. One of Jesus' own followers joins the leader's conspiracy. Have a listen to how Matthew records it. 
Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. His wages, 30 pieces of silver. And that's what he needs to hand over the good shepherd. And he does, he, he betrays with a kiss. But after Jesus is arrested, Judas changes his mind. Maybe he was hoping his betrayal would kick Jesus into action. Maybe he joined the conspiracy as kind of a double agent, disgruntled, yes, at Jesus at his lack of action. All Jesus is doing is talk, talk, talk about dying. Shouldn't he be getting an army together to overpower the evil shepherds? But that isn't Jesus' way. And now Judas regret his part in the conspiracy. He takes the money, throws it to the leaders in the temple, the house of the Lord, and goes and ends his life. Have a listen. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. The godless leaders want nothing to do with Judas. They've got no word of comfort, no forgiveness to offer a distressed man, a man who's betrayed his friend and shepherd, All they care about is their own reputation, making it look like their hands are clean. Matthew says this whole saga fulfills prophecy. He mentions Jeremiah, he names Jeremiah, but it's actually a mix of prophecies from Jeremiah and Zechariah. It's actually normal for biblical authors to only mention one author, but quote a couple. 30 pieces of silver given to the potter, the price of rejecting God's shepherd. Just as they'd done in Zechariah's day, rejecting God as their king, so they do to Jesus. They'd prefer to have corrupt, abusive leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees and priests, shepherds who lie, conspire and abuse to keep their power. They'd prefer to have those leaders than to have Jesus, God's shepherd, who gives his life to save his sheep. And that's the question for you today. If you're here with us today and Jesus is not your shepherd, what are you going to do with Jesus? Will you despise and reject Jesus? Or will you follow God's shepherd? Accept Jesus as your loving leader, the one who gives his life so you may live. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the shepherd that Jesus is the good shepherd who isn't abusive or self-serving but gives his life for the sheep. We pray you'd spare us from bad, foolish shepherds and from their influence make us good sheep who love Jesus and care for one another. 
Please protect churches around the world and particularly our church. Protect us from bad shepherds. Raise up good shepherds, men to be elders of our church. We ask this in the name of the Good Shepherd, our Lord Jesus. Amen.